This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we have gathered to reflect on your mercy and sacrifice, would you so move us and stir our hearts by this story of your salvation, that we, being prone to stray, would be drawn back to you and give you praise in these moments and going forth from this place for the abundant love you have shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Be seated. We live our lives facing an onslaught of reminders that things are not what they should be. I say to my husband Josh frequently that the basic law of entropy is maybe the most frustrating concept in all the world to me. That no matter how nice and sturdy and clean something is at the start, a brand new playground in your neighborhood, a freshly paved road, your guest bedroom after it undergoes a deep clean. Always and inevitably, entropy sets in and things begin to deteriorate from that moment forward. It is a law of nature. This is what must happen. The monkey bars on the playground get rusty. The asphalt on the road cracks and breaks and takes a beating from the Pittsburgh weather, leaving potholes everywhere. We know this well. Even in your guest bedroom, hardly touched, dust gathers in the corners and on shelves. If you're here in the nave today, look at the floor under your feet. Years of worshiping, kneeling, standing, and passing the peace on these floors have worn down the wood to an entirely different color. Entropy, more than probably anything else, makes my human experience feel futile. Anything I create, any order I bring to my home or to my desk or to the sidewalk, eventually declines to disorder again. And there is nothing I can do to stop it. I used to work part-time cleaning this enormous home in Shadyside. The owner was a woman who had someone like me come two to three times a week to vacuum and wipe down the house from top to bottom, all four floors. I remember dusting furniture and baseboards and shaking my head as the rag would come up clean because someone else had just done the same thing only days before. There wasn't even time for dust to settle. In this home, entropy had met its match. For the most part, deterioration was pretty well kept at bay by my employer. But not entirely, and I proved that when I misstepped and shattered a glass table on her back porch. Because if the dust wouldn't be allowed to remind her of the inevitable deterioration that comes with life on Earth, I could be reminded to do so. <laughs> Entropy is an unwelcome reminder that all is not well, and that try as I may, I am powerless to change it. Our reading from the book of Hebrews 
reflects on another very regular, very painful reminder of human helplessness. The reader is invited to meditate on the old sacrificial system by which the Israelite people would come to the house of God, live offering in hand, in hopes of, of obtaining forgiveness of sin. A lamb, a bull, a dove, by the shedding of its blood, would be used to pay for the sins of an individual, a family, a nation, though the creatures themselves had no part in wrongdoing. And this was done for a very specific reason. The Lord God gave the law as a means by which to hold the community of Israel together, to safeguard and set them apart as a people holy to the Lord, who walked in harmony with their God and with one another. So to disobey God's law meant a rupture of relationship between you and the Lord and between you and the community. And something had to be done to restore it. Specifically, the Lord required the shedding of blood. The innocent blood had something of a cleansing effect, and the relationship was restored. The process served as a regular reminder to Israel that all was not well. Not in the world, and especially not in the human heart. And that they were powerless to change it the people would continue to sin and sin, and they would continue to sacrifice and sacrifice. I imagine serving as a priest in those days, offering animal after animal on the altar of God, keenly aware of the temporary nature of it all, knowing I would see the same individuals, the same families return again and again to pay for their wrongdoing with more and more blood. A space can be cleaned and put in order, but entropy assures us that it will deteriorate and need to be cleaned once again. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews puts a finger on this feeling of futility, writing, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year after year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The innocent blood on that altar would do for a time, but only for a time. And to be sure, this sacrificial system was a gift from God, that he would so love and choose Israel as his people, broken as they were, and give them a means by which they could approach his dwelling place, and that he would be faithful to his word and to his character. This was a generosity unseen in other ancient deities. And of course, every time the life of an animal was taken on that altar, the substitutionary meaning of it all was blatantly clear because everyone knew who really deserved to be up there. It was an arrangement of blessing, yet it carried whispers of futility. It would never quite be enough. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't stop Israel's moral entropy, their decline into disorder. Place yourself in the scene with me. You arrive at the temple. Maybe it's a few days' journey. Maybe you live nearby. Maybe you come with your family 
parents or siblings or spouse or children, or maybe you come alone. You've brought with you or purchased the appropriate animal. You weep in repentance and thank God for his acceptance of your sacrifice, for the restoration of relationship. But in your heart, you know you'll be here again. Because before you've even arrived back at home, you've yelled at your child, snapped impatiently at your spouse, lusted in your heart or wished ruin upon someone who's hurt you. Sin eats away at your soul like Pittsburgh weather on the pavement. You'll have to come back and do it all again. Is it to go on like this forever? <laughs> those, those priests faithfully serving at their post, I imagine they must have felt so worn down by it all ministering daily to people in a way that didn't have the power to last. The futility of it all must have felt so defeating at times. And the author of Hebrews urges us to remember that futility, writing, and every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. Is it to go on like this forever? We are gathered here on Good Friday to receive a resounding no. It is not to go on like this forever. What the author of the Hebrews is reflecting upon is an insufficiency, a futility, that you and I never have to know. Listen as the scriptures continue. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. We say it every Sunday in our Eucharist liturgy. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. This is our answer. The temporary, the provisional, that which could never be quite enough to keep the human heart from decline and decay, it is answered in Jesus the self-sacrifice of the Lamb of God, laying his perfect, innocent life down for sin he did not commit. At the cross, moral entropy more than met its match. The reversal was taking place here. Jesus' death was doing something no animal sacrifice could do. There was more than just an act of substitution going on. Jesus, in coming to earth, in taking on flesh, brought together God and humanity in his very self. And he didn't just take on humanity in part, or only the aspects that might be fitting for a God. True, raw, real humanity 
immune systems and muscle cramps, as frail and prone to wander and as unruly as we are, all of it comes face to face with the living God in the person of Jesus. What this means, why this matters, is that when this eternal Son of God in flesh brought into himself all of humanity, he also brought into himself the full weight of sin's destruction and power, the effects of moral entropy since the beginning of time, and he brought it to the grave with him. This is how moral entropy is crushed. This is why relying on Christ's sacrifice is no spring cleaning that will eventually become undone. Rather, in the words of our Lord as he took his dying breaths upon the cross, it is finished. Hebrews goes on to describe the implications of this permanent cleansing. Writing, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And hear this where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Good Friday is a day of sorrow, yet also a day of thanksgiving. We are not bound by moral entropy, doomed to decline into disorder and chaos. In fact, here today, we find ourselves experiencing the opposite. As the Spirit of God writes his laws in our hearts and minds, clinging to Christ, you and I are doing the unimaginable. We are being made holy miraculously by the grace of god in jesus christ his son our story has changed direction no longer must we travel to god's dwelling place to do the work and be cleansed he has come to us he has cleansed us called us holy and dwells within us the human heart stricken by sin becomes the dwelling place of god When Christ invites us to know him, he's inviting us into an eternal cleansing, a reversal of sin's deteriorating effects. No longer is our story one of temporary provision, guilt and bloodshed, more guilt and more bloodshed. So we return to the cross, especially on Good Friday, to the place of sacrifice, but not to offer our own payment. We come gratefully, overwhelmed by the love of God that has become ours, and repentantly, sorry for the ways we manage to reject and ignore his love, and instead follow the devices and desires of our own hearts. Because the effects of sin still linger, they are still damaging, and they are still dreadful, but there is a difference between coming to the cross, repentant over your sin, and knowing that you must somehow manage to pay for it. In today's worship, there will be an opportunity for 
each of us to physically approach the cross if we choose, to posture our bodies or, or say what we need to say to our Lord, a confession, an expression of wonder and bewilderment, even just thank you. And if you're struggling to feel or to resonate with this story, any of the things mentioned here, come anyway. There's space here for all of it. When our Lord cried out upon the cross, it is finished. It was true. The blood of the Lamb of God poured out once for all. Eternal cleansing offered. Sin and death stripped of their power. So let us take heart, even as we are still reminded that all is not as it should be, that there is no longer any offering for sin. The price has been paid in full, once for all. Amen.